Hey, we're kicking off a new series. We just finished up our friending series. And if you missed it, uh, I encourage you to go back and look at it. We called last, week, last series Friending. Um, it could have been one of the most impactful series that we've ever done if you let it. Uh, we have some really cool testimony that we're gathering of people who put some of those practices into action and their lives were transformed. So I encourage you to look back at that series. In the same vein, we are, we're kicking off a new series called Rhythms. And the idea of these rhythms are those things that we do regularly that shape our soul, that shape our mind and our heart and our body. What are those things? The Bible refers to this and theologians refer to what we're going to talk about as spiritual disciplines. But I know how I react to the word discipline. Um, So we're going to be using the word rhythms in conjunction with that. The idea of these rhythms are things that we're faithful to continually do, even when we don't feel like it, because we know uh, it's, it's producing something good that we desire more. And that's the big question for us to reflect on today is, uh, uh, do we know what the desire of our heart is? Do you know what that is? And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present to you a case that, that uh, asks you to examine the, the true desire of your heart and look a little deeper than uh, what you may be used to. You know, in, in my life, I've been a Christian for a long time. And uh, a big chunk of my Christian life, I was really focused on uh, cultivating the self-discipline to not do the things that would displease God. Like my framework of what it meant to be a faithful Christian was to get really good at stopping doing the things that I thought displeased God. And it resulted in some cool things. You know, I quit smoking, I quit cursing. Uh, I quit doing things that I just knew were immoral, that were bad. I felt guilty. That guilt kind of felt like the voice of God in my head. And, and, and I would get really good at trying to stop doing the things that displeased God. And that became kind of the foundation of my framework of faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I, I means to don't sin or at least try not to sin. And then it means to ask for forgiveness when you do sin. But my entire relationship with God was really more about my relationship with sin. Have you ever found that? Like, is this really about me and God? Or is this about me and my own behavior? And I think for so many Christians, this is the framework of our theology. It's about not sinning and repenting when we do sin. And uh, I want to present to you that the true desire of our heart and the true calling of our God is way deeper than that and way more meaningful than that. Um, Because have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm trying, but you you ask yourself, where is God? Like, I'm, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to forgive. I'm trying to live a pure life. I'm trying to do this, but where's the feeling? Where's the payoff? Where's the reward? Where is God? And it could cause you, if this is your framework of your understanding of God, it could cause you to question God's very existence. Because you say, I'm doing all the things. Where's the payoff? Where's the benefit? Because you may be doing all the things, and this is where I was. I was doing all the things, but I wasn't feeling all the feels. I wasn't feeling, like the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's Spirit, the fruit of closeness with God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. I did feel like I was growing in the last one, self-control. 
Right? That is a fruit of the Spirit. But where was the rest of it? Why wasn't I feeling the feels? I'm doing the do's. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the don'ts. Uh, and where are the feelings? Where's the payoff? I found that I was living my life as a Christian based on two efforts. One, I wanted to be a good witness. That was important to me because I wanted to be a man of integrity. I wanted to be a man that if I say this, I do this. And that was important to me. And, uh, so, and, and then as, as, a, as being a good witness, I wanted to... Uh, the idea that I believed was that if people like me, then they'll like Jesus. And so I have to present my good deeds in a way, right, that builds me up. So it's just this weird framework of, of wanting to be a good witness meant don't do the don'ts and make sure people know you're not doing the don'ts. The second motivation I had was avoiding guilt. Every time I would do something that violated what uh, principle I thought I had, and I was trying to live by, I would feel guilt. And, and it's interesting to me that when I reflect on what was the voice of God in my life, the voice of God was guilt. Like, where do I listen to God? Well, do, what, what do I feel guilty about? I would pray, search my heart, oh God, show me if there's any unclean way within me. And whatever guilt I had, and everyone feels guilt, not just Christians, right? Anyone who has a standard that they don't live up to, you feel guilt. But, but for me, I equated that to the God's voice in my life. And so living a Christian life of trying to be a good witness because if they like me, then they'll like God. And, and, and I want to avoid that feeling of guilt. So I'm going to work harder to not do things that I think I shouldn't do, that I think God is focused on me not doing. Uh, that, that lasted for a surprising long time, but I honestly felt dead inside. I felt empty. I felt like a performer with no audience. I felt like there was no payoff. And I questioned, where is God? Where is he? And that tortured twist in this is this. I also felt it was a sin to feel that way. So I never articulated that to anyone or to God. Because I always thought there's something more that I can do to please God by not doing the bad things. There's always something else where, you know, uh, I didn't murder anybody, but I wanted to, <laughs> right? Or, or, oh, that time when that guy cut me off in traffic and I, in my heart I cursed him. There's always one more thing that you can do to try to feel closer to God by avoiding doing the things that you think displease him. And it creates, ironically, more and more separation from you and the heart of God. The reason we do a series like this, called Rhythms, is because in our churches today, in the church today, there are many, many people who are Christians, who their heart, their life, the way they treat the people closest to them, does not reflect that there is the presence of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't reflect that there is growth, that there is maturity. And uh, we want to equip all believers, everyone, with this foundation of faith that gives you the things to do, the rhythms to do that Jesus modeled, that our, our heroes of faith modeled and, and have given us to create these habits and rhythms that allow us to capture the essence of what it means to be God's people. And I tell you, the essence isn't 
avoiding displeasing God. And that's just empty religiosity that we so easily slip into. You become, when, when, when you're in this frame of mind, you kind of become an expert on what displeases God. And, and you tend to judge yourself by that end. Inescapably, you judge others by that. And if you ever find yourself, you look back at your life and go, well, they say they're a Christian, but they, right? That is that frame of mind. You're, you're judging someone by your perception of them doing the things that displease God. That leads to this hole, this emptiness in your heart because you are actually distancing yourself from the thing that you're longing for. You're longing for God. You're longing for his presence. When I stop to ask the question differently, and when I stop to ask and say, instead of saying, okay, how am I doing on not doing the things that displease God? And I actually ask the question, what, what pleases God? Like when you look at what pleases God, it changes everything. It changes everything in your view of the world, of you, of, of God, of others, of your relationship to others, of your relationship to God, of your relationship with yourself, of who you think you are. When you start to look at what pleases God, it changes everything. The framework through which you look at the world changes. So you, we want to know what pleases God. We can look straight at the Bible. We don't have to wonder. 1 Samuel 12:22 For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. I I believe that the angst and the insecurity and the fear and the anxiety and the self-condemnation all that that we feel is us not knowing what to do with our longing for God. We desire God's presence. And here's what is awesome. He desires yours too. He is longing to know you and to be known by you. And when we shape our relationship with God by that, that is what gives him pleasure. Everything changes. Your whole view of the world changes. Your purpose in life changes. And it's understandable why we would get confused by this. And, and if this is you, like it's me sometimes, because let me be honest, Heather and I preparing for this series, we, man, this is, we said a few times, this is so slippery. Because it's so easy to slip into this, I'm going to do the good things. I'm going to avoid doing the bad things and I'm just going to do the good things and then that makes me a good person and a good example and a good leader and a good, right? It's so easy to slip in and out of this. That's why there's this, uh, the importance, this emphasis on daily rhythms, daily rhythms to establish us in this personal connection with God himself. So we don't slip into this slippery thing, but it's understandable that we would think this when we read words like this through the wrong lens. If you look at this passage we read, 1 Timothy 4, this is Paul's letter to his, his mentee, his disciple, his protege, and he says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we will toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. When you see words like train yourself and toil and strive, I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm a, I like to just accomplish stuff, knock things out, figure it out, and get it done. That's rewarding for me. And I look at this and go, okay, what do I do? And the easiest thing to grab on is stop doing something that displeases God. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about train yourself in intimacy with God. Train yourself to equip yourself to grow spiritually. So the answer to the question of why do we have so many Christians that aren't growing spiritually, that are stagnant, that are legalistic, that the older they get, the more bitter they are. You know them. I know them. How they get less effective at loving people as they spend more time in the church pew. Like, why is that? Why do people come to God and they never grow? Well, I think the answer is simple. They never intend to grow. They never put the work in to grow closer to God. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying they don't put the work in to modify their behavior. I'm saying the idea of growing closer to God in intimacy is foreign in a way to us. And, and I think in our culture, at least this was my reaction when I first started to explore this, is some of the stuff that, that Jesus did himself, that the disciples did, that Paul tells Timothy to do, that our, our heroes of our faith have done for thousands of years, if you look at it on the surface through our lens today, it sounds like mysticism. It sounds like some Eastern religion, the idea of meditating on the word. The idea of solitude with God. Some of us can't imagine what it's like to sit alone with God and discipline your mind to be silent. Because we've taken our relationship with God and the time we have with God as if we have to figure it out and then come to God and then tell God what he's going to say to us and say it's from God. And, and I'm, not, I'm pointing the finger here because I, I have this tendency that when I go to God, I, I, I pray to him and I pray for the things that are in my life and the things that are wrong, the things that I'm feeling anxious about. And then I think, well, I'm supposed to know what to do because I have the Bible and then I tell... I, quote back to God, the Bible, as if now this is what the answer is to me now, instead of just silently sitting before God and trusting him. Trusting. Trusting him. Because I have to give up control. Like if, if I know what's going to be said back by using his, there's safety in that, because I, and I can just, I know God, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to just suck it up, and I'm supposed to just, But instead of just sitting without assuming I know what God's going to say. For some of us, that's scary. I want to talk about also a framework that we get in in the scripture. There's there's a passage in the Bible called the Shema. And and many believe it's the most important text in all of the Bible. And it's a prayer that, that Hebrew people have been saying for thousands of years every morning and every night, and they say it today. 
And it's, I'll give you a big part of it that Jesus pulls forward into the New Testament. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that in response to the question of all the commands, what is the greatest of all? And he says, love. And, and for this point, I would argue that the heart of love, what is an indicator of honest, true, agape love for someone, is you desire more of them. You want to spend more time with them. I know that's true. been married for 30, 28 years. And the more we spend time together, the more I want to spend time together. And that hasn't changed since we were dating. Like, the desire, the love makes me want more. Uh, I'm a new grandfather. I have a grandson. I tell you, I I get to hold my grandson, but looking over me every second is grandma. Are you sure you don't want me to? Are you sure you're doing that right? You want to hold like, right? She wants more. I want more. So we fight. No, we don't fight. But that's what love is. And, and the beauty of what we're talking about in this is that your desire for God is reciprocated. God wants that from you. He wants closeness from you. He doesn't want performance from you. He doesn't want you. He, he just wants you. And can you imagine the beauty of when you and God get alone and the deepest desire of both of your heart is more of each other and you can quiet your mind to realize that? You have a relationship with the living God who just wants you? Some of us can't believe that we're enough for anyone, let alone God. As if God needs us and our good works. God just wants you. Full stop. I hope that gives you as much peace as it gives me. I hope also that doesn't make you feel like, oh good, I'm off the hook, right? Because when you start to introduce these spiritual rhythms and spiritual disciplines... There's a lot in you that's not going to like it. There's a lot in you that's going to go, this is different. This is weird. I don't understand this. And that's why they call it discipline. That's why they call it a rhythm. And uh, what we want to do through this series is equip you with some very practical and tangible rhythms. Um, Don't worry. It's not like like, uh, culturally weird, like animal sacrifice or anything like that. But it's just, it's going to feel different. Um, I think especially for uh, men, uh, being vulnerable before God sounds weird. Uh, But I just want to encourage you to stick with it and do it. Because what you'll find and what I found is after a few times, the true desire of your heart longs for it and you need it. I, I think it's attributed to three or four of my heroes that said, I have too much to do in my day to not spend the first two hours of my day alone with God. Right? For them, it's sustenance. And that's how it is for me. My time alone. You will notice, if you're in a relationship with me, you will notice that there are times where I'm just like, hey, i got to disconnect. And you can't reach me for a day or two. I have to connect with God. Otherwise, I'm useless to the people around me. 
This is this desire for closeness is written on our hearts. These practices that we're going to introduce are going to help us address the four areas that the Shema addresses. So we've, we've taken that, we've kind of put it into this framework. of uh, In the Shema, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we love our neighbor as ourself. There's three loves. There's love for God, there's love for neighbor, and there's love for self. These acts are helping you cultivate your love for God and love for self. And as you do that, you will find that you're equipped to love your neighbor. But this love for God and love yourself, that's the desire of God too. I think it's beautiful when you think about that. Like when I come to God with a desire in my heart and he comes with the same desire, that's awesome. The four things that are mapped out in the Shema are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we're going to be talking about, through this series, those four aspects of the human being. We're going to talk about your emotional health. There are things in your past and trauma that has affected your emotional health, and it makes it difficult for you to regulate your emotions. It makes it difficult for you not to be swept away by emotional extre- emotionally extreme thoughts of despair and anxiety and depression. There are spiritual things you can do that will empower you to directly address your emotional health. But let's not, let's not forget, or let's just acknowledge that emotional health is not merely spiritual health. There's more going on than just praying. If you find yourself given to despair and anxiety and fear, and you're not able to regulate your emotions, the answer isn't just to go to your room and pray. There's work to do that you are, that the, this is the training yourself. This is the hard work that you do to deal with past trauma, to face uh, offenses and bitterness in your heart, and to do the work. And the, 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 the prayer gives you power to do that. It doesn't replace that. Just like your physical health, right? To love the Lord your God with all your strength, right? You can't pray yourself into losing 10 pounds. But having a biblical and spiritual understanding of your body, where you look at your body as more than just a nuisance. Like, and we do that. We look at our body as if it's in the way of what we're trying to do. Like, I'll be working and working, working. My body will go, I'm hungry. And I'll go, darn it, I'm working. Instead of listening to my body saying, hey, if you nourish me, guess what? Your brain's going to be smarter. You're not going to be so cranky. You're going to do a better job. But Listen to me, like, so there's a physical, physical health that we take care of. And then our mental health. I think the church has been too silent on mental health. I think, I think mental health is a real thing to address, just like your, your blood pressure uh, or your uh, cholesterol can be high and you take a medication, your brain chemistry can be off and you can take a medication. Let's not spiritualize mental health. Let's use the power of the Spirit for you to have the courage to admit you might need help. You might need therapy counseling for emotional trauma or mental, dealing with mental issues. And that's good to do. It's beautiful to do. And by doing that, we're loving ourselves. We're loving God. And we're able to love our neighbor. 
These rhythms that we're going to go through are going to equip, you're going to notice they're going to affect all aspects of your life. Not as the, the prescription, but the source. The source for you to love your heart, your mind, your body. All from a healthy soul connected to God. That's the true desire of your heart. I'm going to ask Heather to come up to share a very practical, tangible uh, next step and uh, something that she practices that I've witnessed her do and that she's taught me over the years to do and it's been one of the most life-giving things in my life. And at first it was one of the most awkward and weird, (laughs) but it's turned into a rhythm that I, I can't imagine living without. And I also want to no caveat. We're going to talk about these rhythms, and, and I want to in no way project that Heather and I have it all figured out, and we are 100% faithful with these things. Uh, we have learned that these things are good, and we are introducing them into our life, and we go in and out of practice of these things just like anyone would. Um, so I don't, ever, I don't want to project that we've got it all figured out, be like us. It's, this is something we've learned, and we, Heather was trained in college for this, and this is something she practices, and, and she's taught many people uh, these things. And so I, we wanted to share that with you. Um, and there's two things that I want to make clear before. If you find that you have a desire for God, just a desire for God himself, not a desire for the blessings of God, not a desire for heaven, not a, but desire for the person of God, a relationship with the person of God. And, and this passage in Timothy talks, Timothy talks about the benefit is here on earth and in heaven. Like there's a transformation that happens, and you're going to learn that through some of these disciplines. But I wanted to clarify what this isn't. This isn't following Jesus' example merely because Jesus did it. I think we, we make mistakes when we say, I have to do that because Jesus did We're following Jesus' example because Jesus shows us a way to get closer to God. That's why we follow his example. Because the fruit of what he's doing will satisfy the deepest, deepest desire of our heart, which is closeness to God. Otherwise, it's just mindless obedience to another task to try to not do the things that God isn't pleased with. The other thing this isn't is when we do these things, we are pleasing to God. Because that's another performance-based metric that we can go, okay, well, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to be pleasing to God. It is when we do these disciplines, we get the desire of our heart, which is closeness with God. And that's the desire of our heart, is that through these teachings, we as a community would feel closeness with God. right. There are a lot of different practices or uh, spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines um, that I've tried and that you can give a try. Um, And then find which one settles with you. One or two that settle really well with you. And during this series, we're going to walk you through uh, a few different practices, six or seven of them. And each week, we're going to invite you to give it a try. And if you'd like, then great. Give it a try. See how it feels and um, how your relationship with God um, develops and and is transformed through the the practice. 
Um, Jesus did ex give us the example of solitude and silence. And that's the one we're going to focus on this week. The practice of solitude and silence. So the combination of those two practices. In Matthew 4, we read how Jesus went out alone into the desert and he fasted for 40 days in his preparation for ministry, but he was all alone. He removed himself from the distractions of his disciples, of the, the people, his family, his carpentry work, and spent time alone with God, with his father. That is solitude. In Matthew 14, verses 13 and 23, we see that he withdrew from the crowds. He withdrew to a solitary place to pray. And those were times when, one of the times he was grieving the loss of his cousin who had died, he withdrew to a solitary place. So it might be a, a time that you can grieve more deeply. Or he was preparing for caring and tending to the needs of other people. So that time alone with God allows us to be refreshed and to be wholesome, healthy individuals to then go out into our day. This, um, this rhythm is a daily rhythm, and I encourage you to try it as Jesus did early in the morning. So if possible, first thing when you wake up, go find a, a solitary place away from those who may be able to easily find you or interrupt you uh, can be inside or outside. And um, our thoughts tend to um, distract us when we try to do this, this uh, rhythm. So the practice is one of letting go of the verbal, of the language thoughts that we have, and just resting in God's presence. And we're trusting that time with him and in his presence, time in his presence is enough for us for that period of time. So find a comfortable place where you can be alone. Sit comfortably and be in the Lord's presence silently with no words, no music. No sounds other than the sounds of nature, if possible. That's ideal. And then take two to five minutes, whatever um, you can give to this, two to five minutes set aside for this practice. It's not very long, but when you get into it, it starts to feel long, and you, and you kind of want to break it and get back, get into your tasks for the day, or start speaking, or start praying out loud, or even in your mind, start praying. Well, I'm encouraging you to try not to use words in this practice of solitude and silence. This is a time to release your troubles to God and entrust them to him so that your soul is calmed. And often um, a sense of chaos might happen if you're new to this discipline. Um, phrases or um, reasoning, or maybe a struggle that you're going through in life. And so if you can imagine that struggle that comes to mind or that phrase that tries to distract you comes to mind, imagine that it's like a leaf and you are going to take this leaf 
and set it in a flowing river, a gentle river. You're going to lay it on the top of the river, and it's going to flow down river, and you're just going to watch it disappear. And let that distracting problem in your life float away for this short period of time. And then rest silently in God's presence. Just receive his love. Commune with him. And you're cultivating a deeper relationship, a friendship with God. Remember, he wants to be with you. He delights in you. He created you. And he loves you. And this is your chance to receive that and just bask in his presence. I was holding our grandson this last week. Uh, every day, if I get a chance, I do. But he was um, just staring around, looking at things. I look at the contrasting colors and shapes. And when I practiced solitude and silence this morning, I thought of him. Because infants, they don't have the language developed. They don't have like the phrase of, oh, Heather, maybe you need to remember to, to get ready in time because we have to be there early to set up. He doesn't have those, that racing sentence flowing through his mind because he doesn't have the words yet. So that instructed my heart this morning, like, be like Ozias. Just enjoy the silence. I don't have to come up with words. So be like a baby who's pure and has the, just that pure faith that God wants. And in this practice, ask yourself, what is it that you really want? If this feels uncomfortable, you feel like you're wasting five minutes of your day, what do you really want? What kind of life do you want? Because instituting this practice it forms dependence upon God. It gives us a deep peace and a hunger for more time with him, for more of him. And this can, um, can guide your life. Spiritual practices like this can guide your life into uh, a more orderly, um, a more peaceful These provide boundaries for us. And we, we're, we're in a time of high stress, right? And it feels unboundaried at times. It feels like there's so much going on. Every week something changes, and we have to adapt. Well, walking in a rhythmic relationship with God provides clarity. It provides boundaries. And so let's come into God's presence and, and get a hug from him and then be able to go into our day and into our week with him guiding us and giving us a peaceful soul. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and Mike will close us in prayer. Thanks, honey. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the, like, the nuggets in, in this whole thing is the idea of boundaries because those examples that you talked about where Jesus walked away, look at in Scripture what he walked away from. He walked away from the expectations of a mass of people who were sick and needed 
him to heal them. He walked away from them to go get solitude with mm-hmm. God. So uh, those, those moments, like I like how you said, like find a place that people can't easily find you. Um, your kids are going to be fine for five minutes. Even if they're trying to scream your name and find you because they can't find their sock. Like, they're going to be okay. And, and, and trusting God in those moments with those things. And, um, the leaf thing is real. Like, that is actually, that's a real thing. If, but you know what I had to do is accept that. I wasn't just dismissing that there was an issue that mm-hmm. I was struggling. It was for this moment. That is not what this moment's about. Mm. So I'm going to trust God with that. That'll come back around. It's like a river <laughs> that comes back around. It'll come. Just trust God with it. And yeah, that's good. All right. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and uh, Toby's going to close us out in worship, and we have a very special video to share with you at the end, and then an invitation, right? All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have given us the gift of your scripture and the life of Jesus who set an example for us as a way to find you, as a path to follow, not just to follow Jesus, but to find you. Mm. So God, I pray that we have his example. We pray, I thank you that you have sent him as you in flesh to show us the way to love and the way to serve and the way to sacrifice, God. Uh, I pray that we would be focused on the thing you are focused on. You are focused on relentless pursuit of our heart. Help us to be focused on yours as well. I pray that against the enemy and the world and and all of the distractions that are trying to get us to care more about the things of this world than we care about you and closeness with you. Mm -hmm. And I, I just pray that you would cultivate this desire that we have. Help it to transcend the stress and the anxiety of the day. And help it to to, to manifest as this true desire for closeness with you. Empower us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.